Just Some Podcast Media. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Buried Pleasures are those of the host and the guests and do not represent any views of any organizations that we may volunteer for or be employed by. Listeners should be aware that there may, most likely, be profanity and discussions on topics that may require a little discretion. You have been warned. There's dirt on my hands Strong like a tree There's roots where I stand Oh, I've been running from the law Hope they won't shoot me down soon Catch me howling at the moon. Welcome, welcome, everybody, to another episode of Buried Pleasures. I'm your hostess, Pollyanna Amazing, and today I have like one of the coolest chicks I've met in a long time. I'm just going to have to throw that out there. She has been pretty um, amazing uh, find on Twitter Spaces for me, for sure. <laughs> and her name is Rachel Thompson, and she is an author. She is a badass. She <laughs> is a force to be reckoned with. She has written so many books as recently as... Just this year, you've released your Broken People book. Mm-hmm. She wrote a, a book entitled Broken Places and one called Broken Pieces. And she speaks from the view of a person who has had an instance of abuse in childhood. And that's why I have her on the show today so that we can um, get a, a closer view about the inner workings of what she writes about and who she is. And so, Rachel... Introduce yourself. Tell everybody who you are. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Pollyanna. And I'm happy to be here. Um, Okay. So I'm an author. I've written seven books. And like you said, the most recent just came out in September. I've written three uh, broken books is what we call them, the broken series. And um, the first one I released almost 10 years ago, the second one about five years ago. And then this one, it takes a while, you know, I'm writing about life. Um, But the main thing that I focus on being a survivor of childhood sexual abuse is that we have a right to tell our stories. And, you know, some people may not be writers. I happen to be a writer. And so for me, it was an easy transition to create essays and poetry and, you know, prose having to do with being a survivor. And my focus really is kind of threefold. One, to let other people know, other survivors know they're not alone. Um, Two, that we all deserve treatment and support, uh, regardless of the type of trauma. And the third, I always forget because I get to number three, (laughs) is um, that even if the people around you may not believe you, you are still in control of your healing and your propensity or ability to heal. So those are the main things I think I wanted to focus on in my books. That's that's fantastic. And also, I know we're going to we're going to the meat and potatoes of this whole episode are going to be about your uh, your books, but you also wrote some other books too. Yeah. 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 Um, Okay. So my business is called Bad Redhead Media. Which is so awesome. Thank you. (laughs) And um, that I started in 2011. So just had my 10 year anniversary doing that. And I, I used to work corporate America for 17 years with one company and about five with another. And then I transitioned and started working for myself. And um, I wrote a book called the 30 day bad, bad redhead media, 30 day book marketing challenge. Mostly I, it's like a daily uh, assignments to get you up and running with regard to your whole author platform. And when I started uh, in publishing that I couldn't find anything like this. 
what tell me what what are the best things I need to do on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Pinterest for you know getting reviews, for talking to book bloggers. Like there was nothing that had everything in one place. So that's the reason I created that book. And it's by far my bestseller. And it's a great on Kindle pick too. So it was chosen by Amazon to be one of their, you know, mm-hmm. great books, which is shocking and wonderful. And then I also wrote um, a little 99 cent book just to help people who are blog bloggers to learn how to optimize their blog posts. Cause that's something I didn't even know I had to do when I first started right. on blogging and I was using blogger. Now I'm over on WordPress, which I love. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of things that we need to do that we don't know as bloggers to get our work um, scraped and picked up by, by um, Google or Bing or whatever. So, yeah. So I wrote a little book on that and, you know, I make like 30 cents a copy. So it's not like I'm getting rich here. I just really wanted to help people learn to navigate the, these crazy waters and without a guide. So that's why it's, I created both of those guides. So in your spare time, you do what? (laughs) (laughs) I read, I'm an avid reader, send me a time travel story and I'm sold. Um, And I, I, you know, I, I have two cats. I have two kids. I have a man, you know, we all spend time together and, you know, that takes up a lot of time, to be honest. <laughs> well, I mean, you're doing all these things, you're writing. And also, again, I want to mention the fact that if anybody out there listening, if you're ever on Twitter and you see Rachel Thompson in a Twitter space, jump in there because I had the privilege of co-hosting with her a few days ago. And in all honesty, I'm going to say that that was tops on my list of really Um, cool things that I have done in my life because there were so many amazing people who jumped out of the conversation and were just like, hey, I want to talk about this. And and you gave them that safe space because that Mm -hmm. that's what you do. That's what your books are about. You're you're all about allowing people to sit with what they have had going in their lives And then really just digest that material, figure it out. And then it's, you know, some people can do it on their own, but some people can't get back to themselves on their own. So books like Broken People are pretty phenomenal in my my idea because what they do is they do, they lend validity to your feelings when you're feeling like you don't know who you are, what you are, or how you're supposed to feel. Mm-hmm. And all we see on media are the negative ploys that are out there on, you know, the world is so terrible. Everything is so terrible, but it's not really. And strangely enough, it's so funny to say that I think that I've found more love in Twitter spaces than I have in in the community that I belong to, which is such an odd thing. But really, honestly, when you think about it, you have all these like-minded people coming together in mm-hmm. a certain space. And so, of course, it feels comfortable. It feels wonderful. How do you prepare yourself when you are going to speak publicly to people? Because I know you do that, um, especially mm-hmm. with the Twitter spaces even. Yeah. How do you prepare yourself mentally to not attach yourself to all of that negativity that can come up? How do you, how do you prepare yourself for that? That's a really good question. Um, I think like you, I have a desire to help people, right? That's just a huge thing for us. So part of it just comes naturally. Um, But I think the other part is knowing what I'm going to be talking about. So I always have a plan, even if it's just a few little, you know, bullet points on a, post-it note, you know, um, and I learned this a long time ago. It literally, I would say when I was still working corporate America, I, I became a trainer for this company that I was with, this pharma company. And I moved back to New Jersey and lived there for four years and worked in the home office and worked in the training department. And this is a tip for anybody. If you're going to be speaking, know what you're speaking about, Right. Right. It sounds really ridiculous, but you get up there and you're like, uh, <laughs> what am I going to talk about? So doing a little bit of prep, I mean, I'm not talking hours and days, depending on what kind of 
speech you're going to be giving. Right. And, and I think first I do two things on, with regard to, I started sex abuse chat. And that was one of the biggest things I did when I launched my first book, because so many people contacted me in DMs and PMs and emails and on my website and yada, yada, just saying, thank you for writing this. And this was long before the Me Too movement or anything like that. So it was very hard for people to talk about. It still is. But I decided to make the chat public because we did nothing wrong. And that's the main reason that I wanted that message to be out there. And in the same thing I'm doing in spaces, but it's different because like I have three other co-hosts and maybe they're doing like this past week, they did a space on navigating, uh, sorry, a chat on navigating triggers. And you and I actually spoke about pleasure and survivors. So as long as we have, you and I just like did it like, you know, here's a question I have, or this came up. And I think we're both so enveloped in these talking points and these communities that it comes very naturally to us. And I'm an introvert. I mean, people don't think that that's true because I can be very chatty, but I am. So it's not like I'm super gregarious. I'm very comfortable in this kind of a situation or in spaces. Nobody can see you. If people are unfamiliar with Twitter spaces, it's social audio. So you enter like a, a room and you chat with people and it's got a theme. So yeah. So for that, it's, it's pretty comfortable for me so far. I, I, I enjoy the, um, the candid conversations that people have, like you're putting yourself out, even though you can't see their face and you don't yeah. really know them and, and right. whatever name they go by handle, whatever. Yeah. Um, you have people who are just jumping out and saying, Hey, this is how I feel. And I, I really want somebody to tell me, am I right? Am I wrong? Or is it indifferent? Or am, do I need something else? What, you know, we're all searching for something. We're all searching for comfort and love. And it's really hard to find that when you're alone. And I mean, you know, we have to, obviously COVID has absolutely um, made a huge impact on everybody's mental health, regardless of whether you notice it or not. It totally has. Yeah. Um, And it, it has to, because there are things that we can and can't do that we were never told we can or can't do before. Right. And then you have oppositional people who are like, you know, everybody is on edge. Everybody's on edge. So the ability to sit with a group of people and allow them the time and your knowledge to speak about things that they find that they're having trouble with and maybe somebody else's is such a huge thing. Mm-hmm. And in my experience, and, and I will speak mostly of my addiction medications experience whenever I was, you know, prescribing Suboxone and that sort of thing <clears throat> in a clinical setting. I met some people who they told me they were broken. And whenever I saw your broken people and the broken, you know, places, broken pieces, those are broken. That word is such a powerful image in people's minds because a lot of things that are broken can't be fixed. Mm-hmm. But in an actuality, we're kind of like the, the super glittery Elmer's glue. <laughs> I know, you know, it's not that we're going to hold things together forever. We, we are at times just somebody to be a sounding board to, you know, like mm-hmm. we are, somebody can speak to you and you can say, in my experience, this is what I've seen. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's huge because we all need some validation. We all need some kind of sense of security. And we are feeling like we don't have that any longer, I think. Do you believe in your heart that people who have had experiences in the past with abuse, especially in childhood abuse, do you believe that they can lead successful lives later? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, definitely. Uh, I think there's a few caveats. Um, It's very common to have some sort of distress 
after. And a lot of people who are survivors are diagnosed with PTSD or complex PTSD, depending on how many incidences they've had. So what was a learning experience for me was I never got help until you know, 25 years later when I had my first child. I was 35 years old and I had a complete meltdown and freaked out about how I was going to keep her safe. And like, it's so funny to me that I didn't even think about that during the pregnancy, but like the second she came out of me, I was just like such a protective little mother bear. And you know what that's like being a mom and, or anybody who is involved with children. So in a positive way. So I think getting therapy for me was inordinately helpful and understanding how, and this is what I write about is the panic attacks and the migraines and immune disorders. I have Hashimoto's, which is a thyroid disorder. Um, You know, just so many different things can be traced back to that. And I didn't understand the link. Um, So I think for anybody who's struggling, reach out and, you know, whether it's to me or to you or to your healthcare professional and get the help that you deserve. Mm-hmm. And, and then and it's possible, I think, to be successful. For sure. For sure. And do you, like in my mind, I think a lot of people are under the impression that it's a weakness. I have that problem myself, honestly, going from, and I, I, I totally believe in my heart that my years of working in healthcare have given me um, some really, some really tough times that yeah. I believed in my heart. I had a weakness because I couldn't deal with it any longer. And mm-hmm. I feel like I, you know, not to do my own therapy here on a public forum, Ooh, do it. I totally. <laughs> right. Right. By me. To do it, right. I don't feel like I'm the badass. ER charge nurse that I used to be now that I've been a nurse practitioner for all these years. And, and my, our perspective. And I, I'm a huge perspective person. I always talk about perspectives. Mm-hmm. My perspective has changed in so many ways. And back then, I think it was a, it was a total fight or flight. You deal with your shit and you get it done. And then you go home and you are happy and you make your family happy. And that's the way the world goes. Mm-hmm. But it, there comes a point when you can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as much as I am so impressed by people who have had instances in their childhood who have the strength and capability to come out and say it without, you know, the, the fear that, you know, you stop having that fear that somebody is going to harm you with your, with your being able to speak the words that you want to say, mm-hmm. you finally find that voice. And I think that that's what the podcasting does for me and the connection with all the people in like Twitter spaces. I have the ability now to speak what my truth is. Yeah. And if you could, I want you to speak about a little bit um, on finding your voice as a survivor of childhood abuse. Tell me how, how did that work for you if you don't care or, uh, you know, even an example, if you'd like to give. Sure. How do you find that that finding your voice is is there? How? Well, I share this with pretty much everybody because when I was first starting to write this book and coming to terms with, I was deep into therapy at the time and I started reading old journals and an old love of mine had died by suicide. And so that really opened up something in me that said, you know, I have more to talk about than just, you know, humor, which is the two books that I had released earlier on. And I read this quote, I'm going to read it to you now. It's in Broken Pieces. Write something you'd never show your mother or father. And that's by Lori Moore. And I think that just kind of gave me permission. Uh You know, I was in my 40s. I'm 57 now, I'll be 58. So when I released the first book, I was in my late 40s. And I had a really good perspective at that point about what was going on with me and why certain behaviors and thoughts and flashbacks and all that stuff happened, which I didn't know before because I hadn't been in therapy. And so when I read that quote, I was like, you know, 
I can write all this stuff, you know, because I don't go into great detail, very, very little detail, in fact, about the actual abuse. I don't go into explicit or graphic because I don't feel like I need to provide that kind of what people refer to as trauma porn for people. I don't need to trigger people who are already reading my books to find help. So for me, it was not important that I go into that kind of detail, but I had to give myself permission to face those fears of what is everybody going to think and who's going to talk bad about me and is my family going to be embarrassed and yada, yada. And it wasn't like that at all. So, and there's another quote I wanted to read to you. Um, I share this one a lot from Anne Lamott. You own everything that's happened to you. Tell your stories. If people wanted you to write warmly about them, they should have behaved better. <laughs> that's awesome. I share that a lot. In fact, somebody just said something about don't make Taylor Swift mad because she'll put you in her album. And I said, you know, she's a songwriter. If people wanted you to write warmly about them, they should have behaved better. That's awesome. That's a great quote. <laughs> it's a great quote. And it's very inspiring for me as a survivor. And, you know, if people have issues with what I'm writing about, then don't read my book or write your own book, you know. Like I can't control anything other people say or think about my work. Absolutely. So, you know, I'm no longer invited to that party. Right. I got, listen. Hey, yes. If you're the girl that talks about sex stuff or pleasure or <laughs> asking people about their happiness on a, on a constant basis, there are people that are just like, Nope. <laughs> right. Nope. I can't with you right now. Exactly. Um, so I totally understand that. But, you know, I, you are coming from, I believe, the same kind of, of, of thing that I am in the fact that I just want to use the knowledge that I've gained to help people to at least feel a little more human in their day because there are so many people out there that have these ideas that they nobody else on the planet is thinking what they're thinking or nobody mm -hmm. else can understand where they're coming from because nobody could have possibly gone through this like they have yeah and maybe if we can just contact that you know that one person to be able to open up then for for sure we're doing something great for the universe i believe yeah. Yeah. and i think it's a blessing to be able to be that person that can do that even though that blessing came from something that really wasn't you know something that anybody would want to go through and that's our you know oftentimes i believe that we're being tested i don't know by who and it's just an abstract thought like what is this about today <laughs> why exactly. do i need to go through this today yeah so yeah. i believe that what you're doing is like it's it's one of the most amazing things to be able to reach out and touch somebody's heart and have them be comfortable enough to speak their truths to you and that's huge. And that was, again, something in that Twitter space that we talked about is being able to get back to speaking your truth. If you've been shut down by every you know, person who has authority over you, or you feel like nothing you've ever said has been held in regard to anything, it's just something you've said. And how do you get past that? How mm -hmm. do you start to heal from that? And in your expert i'm going to call you expert <laughs> okay <laughs> what have you seen that has worked for some people you know i know we we've talked about what worked for you you're in this amazing relationship you were able to start writing and get these feelings out what are some other ways that you've seen that people are having positive um, effects from well i think social media has actually been really great mm -hmm. um i always say social media is what you make it so you know, if, if all you're doing is talking politics, then you're just going to be walking around with all that in your soul. Right. But connecting with other survivors on Twitter specifically, um, I, that's where I'm most active. But I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram and I'm on Pinterest and LinkedIn and yada, yada. But I would say social media has become just such a huge global community building space um, if you seek those people out. So, for example, you know, sex abuse chat, we, we generally have, you know, 50 to 100 people on the regular chat. 
And then in spaces, I mean, that was like the third time I think I've done it. And we had like, I don't know, 25 or 30 people. I was thrilled. Um, You know, some people have like 18,000 people or whatever. That's not me. Um, But I think social media has been very helpful for some people. We I'm very specific about on the chat saying, this is not a replacement for therapy. I am not a therapist. I'm simply just sharing the different things that myself and my other co-hosts have been through or go through. And here's how we handle it. And it's not like I'm at the end of, you know, I'm cured and I'm never going to need therapy again. And I'm never going to have to be on meds. That's not the case at all. I am still on meds. I still have anxiety and depression, but not as bad as if I just, just, you know, chose to go off of it. Um, I think other things is writing, journaling, and not worrying about what is everybody going to say? Because that is, we've been listening to people telling us they don't believe us. We're in it for the money. We're a gold digger. Uh, Women especially have a hard time. Men have a very hard time too. There's no question. But I always look at it this way. I always say, you remember when the young man came out um, I think it was Anthony Rapp was his name and accused Kevin Spacey, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, sexual abuse when he was still a teenager and they were in a Broadway show or off Broadway or something. Mm-hmm. And everybody believed him, which is amazing because then more people came out and said that Spacey had, you know, done things with them. Um, and there was no question that what he said was the truth. Right. Everybody was just like, we believe it. But then you have the Cosby people and the Weinstein women, and they were just subjected to Kavanaugh. They were just, just subjected to so much abuse yeah. that it's sickening. So at some point, you have to just retreat from all that noise and focus on your own health. So I think, you know, social media can be helpful as long as you're looking into those types of spaces or chats, right. On Twitter Um, groups. I have a private group on Facebook and it's a safe space and I screen everybody. They cannot come in if they're not a survivor. So, you know, that's really important. So I think the camaraderie and the group support journaling and writing things out. And also just, I work with a lot of survivors who want to write stories like I have. Uh And, and um, I, for two years, I taught creative nonfiction workshops and I loved it. Um, Haven't been doing it so much this year, but it was so great during the pandemic, especially it was so great to connect with people and, you know, write whatever you want to write. Nobody's standing over your shoulder saying, you can't write that. I did not approve that. Right. You may hear that afterwards, but then I'll (laughs) tell you the other thing is after having written seven books, my family doesn't read my books. Uh They just have little or no interest. It's like, if you're not on the New York times bestseller list, then we don't care. You know, my sister and her husband are great. And my parents have looked over some stuff, but you know, you have to figure Here's what my dad said to me. He's like, sweetie, I want to read your book. I will. Now there's three, but this was the first one, Broken Pieces. And I will. And he did. And he said, I said, you know, I just, I said, be forewarned. There's some sex stuff in there. And he's like, well, sweetie, how do you think you got here? I love my dad. It's the <laughs> I know, it's so cute. <laughs> and he's like 84 now and he's still doing great. It's wonderful. But, you know, he's always just said, you know, I love how you caress the words and make them so beautiful and lyrical. And I'm like, oh, like that's my goal is to not just make uh-huh. it like, here's a chronology of the events and this happened and that happened. You know, that's just yeah. like snore. But but if that's what you need to tell initially, then get it down, get it out of your body. Right. Very cathartic in that way. And Mm -hmm. I think that, um, you know, I was very impressed with the men that stepped up in the space because, you know, as much as we talk about sexual abuse and sexual assault and being a survivor, men don't want to say that that happened to them. They just Mm -hmm. don't. They don't have the support in their male communities to be able to say, hey, like something happened to me. Now, 
I don't have anybody to talk to you. Like your girlfriends, you can talk to them about things that are happening and it's okay. But I don't think that men have that safe space, especially if it is a a male on male abuse necessarily, or in the instance. And I'm sure that um, anybody who was in the room would, uh, you know, hear the story of how an older female abused a younger male, but then he got blamed for it later. That's such a um, such a far off thought. Why would you ever think that? I know. I know. But I'll tell you what, when I was I testified against the neighbor who was my abuser, a neighbor dad, um, and I testified in a civil trial, not criminal, because they didn't think that they had enough to go for a criminal trial. So it was right. Um, uh, So a civil trial and a military trial because he was in the Navy, I think. Um, Army or Navy. I think it was Navy. And um, they would say, well, you know, why did you keep putting yourself in the position of being able to have him abuse you? And I'm like, I'm 11. Like, what the fuck? I was playing with his daughter, you know? Right. Right. Why did you put yourself in that position? That in itself is so degrading. And it just lends to the fact that shut your mouth and everything will be fine. Yeah. If you don't tell, everything yeah. will be fine. Yep. Yeah. It's just scary place to be in. And I can't imagine, you know, I, I personally have not been uh, abused as a child. I mean, you know, like my my mental health issues are mostly stem from the abuse I sustained in the emergency department, which I, you know, I've had a hard time saying that. Because it was my job. That's what I signed up for. That's what I do. And it's okay that people beat you up or call you names or spit on you or all of the other horrific things that you have to witness that you become the bystander in the abuse, right? You become the one that stands there and there's nothing you can do except hope that you can help them um, in that situation, right? Mm -hmm. So that that total feeling of helplessness in that I can empathize with that on a different level than I ever thought I could. So that's why I think that this particular, you know, abuse, the the talks about it, the the books, the the need to get the information out there to people that there are ways for you to feel like a human again and not feel so alone and afraid. I think that's the, that's the caveat I want to get out. Find your voice, find somebody that you can talk to. Like I had a couple people uh, DM me after the, the sex abuse space to say, thank you for mm-hmm. allowing me to be able to use my voice. And I really, I want to hit that home for people. If you have issues going on in your life and you feel like you have absolutely nobody to go to and your despair is just so heavy, start writing it down at least. You know, if you can't find that you have the comfort or or a safety feeling that you can go to somebody that you're around or and you don't have the, the access to the medical care that you need or the mental health care that you need then please start writing down your feelings and notice what are the major themes in those feelings? Like what can you do for yourself in the moment? And that's what I kind of think that we really get stuck at. I do totally worrying mm-hmm. about the future. So, yeah. And don't worry about the past so much anymore. That used, that's an old thing. Yeah. <laughs> I've gotten past that one. Yeah. But um, worrying about the future, sit in the moment, be in the moment with yourself and realize that there is so much more out there to be had, to be experienced, that that feeling that you're in right now, it doesn't have to be constant, even though some days it must feel constant for mm-hmm. people. Yeah, absolutely. There, there are ways to get out of that. So um, in your opinion, mm-hmm. do you believe that people are capable of doing this on their own do you think that people can can come out on the better half of this of of the abuse situation without reaching out to other people i think it's really difficult because well first off telling our 
stories or connecting with others can be very, very intimidating if we've not done that previously, right? Um, so whether it's in real life or online, sharing our stories of abuse make us makes us feel very vulnerable. What if people don't believe me? You know, that kind of thing. Because that's what we're seeing happen, right? Right. Um, there's a whole hashtag that started um, I think maybe it was before Kavanaugh, before that, um, called why, uh, why I didn't report. And I mean, there were literally, literally millions of people who responded on Twitter to that. And CNN ran a story about it. And I ended up being interviewed. It was, you know, I'm like, oh, it was great. But was it great because of the topic? But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so I think if people do connect with others, even in a space or a sex abuse chat. Like I got so many people who contacted me after our space also and in um, DM who, who said I've lurked in your chat for probably five years, but never had enough nerve to talk to you. And, you know, and I always say, if you DM me, if you, I opened up my DMs, if even if I'm not following you. So like contact me, I'm not going to sit there and say, you need to be in therapy. Right. But I can give them resources like Rain R A I N N is great. They're twenty four seven. The chat or phone or online, whatever works for you. Um, and I think that's really a good place for people who who don't know where to start. Start there. I think that's very helpful. And then the other thing that I didn't know until I actually moved and was going through my divorce is that every county in the United States is given money to provide mental health services mm -hmm. to their surrounding, you know, cities okay. and communities. And so that's how I ended up finding therapy for myself and my daughter and my son. Um, and, you know, they, it, it's based on your ability to pay. So if you have no money, you can still go get mental health care. And a lot of people don't think that that's a possibility, right. but it is. You just need to check in your own county. And it may end up being like this, like telehealth. Right, right? telehealth, for sure. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have to be, you know, like me, you and me sitting down having a coffee, which we'd love to do, right? Totally. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there are options available to people who may not realize that they can receive trauma-trained help. You can request a trauma-trained counselor at your local mental health clinic. Now, you know, some people would come back to me and say, well, you get what you pay for, but I've had amazing results. My daughter's therapist, she's still with her. And we start, she started going to her almost 10 years ago when we moved here. So, you know, you can grow and learn with your therapist. Sure as well. So I think it's important to have somebody who's completely neutral because, you know, you talk to a friend, you talk to your mom, whatever, your parents, your sisters, and they're going to support you because that's who they are. Unless for some reason there was, you know, abuse within the family. And then that just really drives people apart. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I do think it's helpful to get help and to not feel bad if you need medication, because I mean, that medication saved me and I have no qualms about telling people that I take it and I'm on it and I'm monitored and, you know, the whole thing. Right. I think it's um, a testament to who you are and your ability to be um, open and honest and really it speaks to your character. It just does. And how you are trying to help other people, even though you're making 30 cents a book. So people out there who think that, you know, this is just a ploy to sell books or, you know, or services or whatever. This is a coming from a genuine, loving kindness spot in the hearts of both of us, I believe, so that you out there know that there are resources and just look them up. And it's so easy now to pick up your cell phone. If you look, there's hundreds of apps out there right now mm -hmm. that connect you to a mental health provider. Mm -hmm. And you may have to search around for some people like you may not like the first person you get. You may not like the second person you get, but keep your search yeah. open. But that first step is always the most important. Getting your mental health 
needs is just as important needs met, let's say, (laughs) is just as important as having your medical needs helped. It's just, they're synonymous. You cannot give from an empty cup, people. I I am here to tell you, my cup has been running on empty for a long time. That's why I had to stop doing what I was doing and change my trajectory because I am ultimately in control of my perspective and how I feel about everything in my life. And if I don't like a piece of it, then it's up to me to change it. But I have the strength to do that right now. There has been times when I have not had the strength to do that, that I've just rode the train until the last stop, got off, had a lot to drink, got back on. (laughs) So there are unhealthy habits that I gained from that experience that I don't want to get back into. I really don't. So I'm, I'm, I'm choosing to use my discernment to stop allowing myself to be in that position. And I'm happy that I've gotten there, but I have a lot to work to do, a lot of work to do still. A lot. <laughs> but well, the chats is amazing for me. Sorry, I didn't mean oh, to cut you off. Oh, go ahead. You're fine. Go ahead. I was just going to say, one of the things that I wrote about, I write on Medium quite a lot. So if anybody's looking, go to medium.com and look up Rachel in the OC, which is what I go by for Twitter and everything else, right? Um, And the OC means Orange County. I lived in Orange County for 17 years. People are like, what's the OC? And I'm like, did you not see the show? (laughs) (laughs) I think it speaks to how old we're getting. That's Yeah, I know. (laughs) Okay, I haven't watched that, but yeah. Um, So, but I think what's most important there is to realize that, that what you were saying about not, you know, pulling from an empty cup, there were two things that I found to be very difficult to my healing. One was an unsupportive partner. I was married for 22 years, separated for the last two. And so, um, and a job that I hated, which was being a pharmaceutical rep, absolutely hated it. I always joke and say I'm recovered now, but you know, it, I, I, the things that I enjoyed about the job are what I use now in book marketing and social media and building relationships and networking and connecting, you know? So I try to look at the positive uh, spin on what I learned as opposed to how much I hated it, you know? So getting rid of an unsupportive partner and a job I hated was huge for my healing, but it didn't happen overnight. I probably worked for a good five years after I had my daughter um, hating every moment of it. And eventually I did quit and started um, blogging and writing and then my business. And so it hasn't, it's been a, a pretty smooth transition for me to go from being corporate to working for myself, but it's, it's work and that's okay. Um, but I think, like I said, just make sure that people in your life are supportive. That's so huge. And they can't be supportive if you can't be transparent with them. So, you know, there's, there's, there's a leap of faith that goes along with sharing our stories and admitting our vulnerabilities. But people connect with that vulnerability. I always say when I'm teaching classes, if you don't feel it as you write it, the reader won't feel it as they read it. So, you know, going for that really raw honesty that can be hurtful at times, that's okay to express that. Yeah. Right. There's no bad emotion. Like my therapist, this is why I think therapy is helpful is, you know, I had a hard time um, expressing my anger at my ex and everything that we had to, that, the kids had to go through and I was the one who wanted the divorce. So he kept saying, well, you know, if you hadn't done this or done that or whatever. And I was like, you know, I need this anger to go somewhere, but I don't want to have an enemy. And it takes a lot. This is an EB white quote. It takes a lot of energy to have uh, an enemy. That was the Charlotte's web writer. So I, we work together in ways to express the anger, but not have it like eat me up. Right. And with that kind of guidance, I think is very helpful because we're allowed to be angry. You know, we're allowed to be angry at the people that hurt us, the people who didn't believe us, 
even people in our lives who may be gaslighting us or making us feel bad for some way for it. You know, a lot of people don't want to admit, for example, that they are triggered by something. And and that's what we talked about in our space and triggered. That word has been so like euthanized, you know, I I, I call triggered my trigger word. I really do. Um, Yeah, I do. Because, you know what? I, I want you to be honest about your feelings Always. I really want people to be honest about their feelings. If it upsets you, say it's upsetting. Mm -hmm. And I'm not mad at people who use triggered. I just say that. The the oversaturation of these triggered. And I think it's basically because my 16 year old on a constant basis says, you're triggering me. You're triggering me. This is life, sweetheart. Life is a trigger. And if you don't grab a hold of that trigger and pull it, somebody else will understand. Yeah. And there's, there's such a benefit to identifying your triggers. Yes. Call it what it is. Yeah. Cause like we talked about in the space, like I went to Disneyland with my ex. He loved it there. We took the kids. We were there constantly. We lived very close to Anaheim Um, and I hated it and I would cry and I would get migraines and I'd be in just horrible pain. And so I, said to my shrink at the time, I shouldn't say shrink, my doctor, my psychiatrist, what, who goes to Disneyland and cries? Like, what is wrong with me? And he said, you feel a loss of control being around all those people and you feel threatened. So you're constantly in your hypervigilant mode. And that's why you go to migraines because that's how my brain and the chemicals have decided this is my response to stress. That's it. And it, it helped so much to just know that I'm not crazy and this is normal behavior to an, a normal reaction to an abnormal situation. Right, right. Situational stuff, really. Yeah. It does. Oh, I'm so glad that we have been able to talk about these things because I think moving forward, we're going to be besties, by the way. I just oh. want to throw that out there. Totally. Uh, <laughs> and during this Seattle rainy season, I'm totally coming to California because it sucks in the rain. Um, I need some sunshine. You're welcome. Anyway. Yeah. But I, I don't want to keep you all day long. I would, you know, I would. Uh, <laughs> but I want to be respectful of your time. And really, a couple of things I want to touch on before we do wrap up is in our spaces, the Twitter spaces, your, it's hashtag sex abuse space. Okay. Sex abuse chat. Sex abuse Sorry. chat. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I want you guys, if you are Twitter followers or just out there, if you ever see one of uh, these pop up, I highly suggest that if you have some things you want to discuss and you felt like you've never been able to talk to anybody, but that this resonates with you, please do yourself a favor. You don't have to talk. You can just sit and listen. Or if you want to, you have the capability to speak to people who have some advice that may be helpful and not even advice, just words of knowledge that they've picked up that maybe that might resonate and make you feel a little bit better in your day. And that's what we're here. Buried Pleasures is all about finding what pleasures you. And it doesn't always have to be sexual. Jeez, people. (laughs) Pleasure comes in many forms. It doesn't have to be. Not that I mind the sexual pleasure talks. You know, those aren't off the table ever. Um, Not in this house. But uh, Rachel, I just wanted to thank you again for... Uh, for being open and honest and having your voice be heard by so many people and sharing Mm -hmm. your abilities with other people, because not everybody has a game plan on how to get out of trouble or how to feel better or how to move forward. And having people in your corner is always important. So Rachel, tell everybody out there where they can find you on social medias and all. Okay. Um, on Twitter, as I said, I'm Rachel in the OC. And you can also follow my business account, which is Bad Redhead Media. It's the name of my company. So I do have two Twitter accounts because the branding is so incredibly different. Um, I don't really talk about being a survivor, not that it's a problem, but it's just this is business. And then the other is more personal. So I have two accounts. They're both verified. Um, and I'm on Facebook, Rachel Thompson, author, or Bad Redhead Media. Instagram, 
Pinterest, LinkedIn. I'm, I'm pretty much everywhere. You can go to my websites, which are rachelintheoc.com or badredheadmedia.com to learn about marketing and social media and all that kind of stuff. I wrote, just wrote about Twitter spaces on Medium and how authors can take advantage of this wonderful new program. Mm-hmm. So I do love sharing information that people don't have to pay for. If they do decide they want to pay for something, then go to Amazon, take a look at my books and, you know, either download them or order print versions. But, you know, I do, I, tr- I do try to keep my pricing very low, not because I don't value what I've written, but because I want more people to be able to afford it. Right. right. That's really important to me. Well, I think you're amazing. And I bought all of your books. You I did. bought the SEO ones because I didn't know about that, but we're going to oh. check out that too. Um, <laughs> so Rachel, again, thank you so much. And I am Polly and Amazing. This is Buried Pleasures and you can find me at buriedpleasures.com. You can find me at Buried Pleasures on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all those things. Uh, listen to the podcast on any of the podcasting platforms out there and uh, be looking for some amazing new things coming from Rachel Thompson, the author and Rachel in the OC and bad redhead media. I freaking love that. So anyway, (laughs) guys out there have a great day. Thanks everybody. Bye. Water's up to my chin. Sunrise on the sun